everyone. You're about to listen to the next episode of Inside the Skev. We're going to have a delicious conversation with David Lipschutz from Blind Faith Cafe in Evanston. Awesome restaurant, so enjoy. And uh, if you like this podcast, please subscribe, share it, tell everyone about it, and keep listening to future episodes. And if you just love this town or these towns so much, Skokie and Evanston or anywhere around Chicago and you want to buy or sell real estate, go to my website at AaronMassLiansky.com. I'm a realtor over at Dreamtown Realty in Evanston. I'd be happy to help you. Welcome to Inside the Skev, and I'm your host, Aaron Maslansky. Today we're here with David Lipschultz from Blind Faith Cafe in Evanston uh, on Dempster Street, and very excited to have David on here. I've been going to this restaurant since I was a baby, pretty much, and grown with it, and uh, just really a pleasure to have you on the show, so thanks for being here. It's a delight to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. Um, so, David, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about Blind Faith Cafe? Well, Blind Faith Cafe is a certified green vegetarian restaurant, 525 Dempster Street in Evanston. Um, and we opened in 1979, so we'll be celebrating our 40th anniversary this October. Wow. Um, we're a lacto-ovo vegetarian restaurant which means that we do offer uh, milk and egg products, but uh, it's vegetarian, no beef, chicken, fish, fowl of any kind. Uh, We have a lot of vegan options, uh, and uh, we have a full bakery, and we also do catering. And it's all delicious. (laughs) I'll add that. (laughs) I've lived in Evanston myself since 1966, I moved here with my family uh, when I was in school and um, lived most of my life here. For a short time, I was on the West Coast, uh, worked in a series of bakeries and restaurants and catering companies on the West Coast and here in Chicago, but um, fell into the Blind Faith Cafe fairly early in my career. I was just 20 when uh, I started working with the restaurant and uh, 22 when I bought it. How, how, how does that happen? How did you get into the food business in the first place? How do you know that's what you wanted to do? Well, you know, it's funny. I'm not sure that I realized that I wanted to get into it. One day in the middle of a lunch rush at the restaurant, I had one of these flashback memories. You know how you remember things from your childhood? Sure. My parents' house had these long radiators in a sunroom, like six, seven-foot-long radiators with radiator covers on them. And one of the things that I used to do when I was a kid, and I'd completely forgotten about this until the middle of this lunch rush one day, you know, you you do make-believe, right? You do things, you play around the house, you pretend you're somebody else. Well, I used to play a restaurant, and I didn't even realize (laughs) that I'd forgotten all about it. I pretended the radiators were grills, and I was flipping pancakes or flipping burgers or something, and the living room was the dining room, and I guess I had some sort of inkling of where I was going, but I always loved to cook. I always loved to eat. You know, who doesn't? <laughs> who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. And when I was probably eight, nine, ten years old, I used to uh, cook those Jiffy cake mixes. I loved the blueberry muffin mix and the chocolate brownie mix. You know, it was add two eggs, a quarter cup of oil, and some water, yeah. put it in a mixer, stick it in the oven. 
you're a baker at that point. <laughs> yeah, actually, I got into the industry uh, as a baker more than as a chef. And in fact, to this day, I'd say I'm probably more uh, creative and and more uh, knowledgeable even uh, as a baker. I worked in. Uh, a bakery doing breads in a place called the Bread Shop Kitchen, mm -hmm. which was down on Halstead and Roscoe. And across the street from the Bread Shop Kitchen, which was on that northwest corner of Halstead and Roscoe, was a restaurant that the K. Stepkin, who was one of the original vegetarian natural foodies in Chicago, um, she opened a restaurant called the Bread Shop Kitchen. And I worked at the bread shop kitchen for a couple of years, which is where I, I learned a lot about cooking natural foods. Were you like 15 then? Uh, 16. Okay. I was 16. And actually, that space was sold and became the Chicago Diner. So the uh -huh. original location where the Chicago Diner is now on Halstead was the bread shop kitchen in the 70s. Oh, my God. And I worked there. In fact, I went to... Uh, interview for a baker's position because I was interested in baking. Yeah. And I was talking to Kay for a while, and she said, I'm sorry, I don't have any baking positions, but I have a position opening up in the, the restaurant across the street. Would you be interested? And I guess I came off pretty confidently, and I said, yes, I would, and she agreed to hire me. And then before we ended the interview, she kind of looked at me curiously, and she said, how old are you? <laughs> I said 16. She said, that's what I thought. <laughs> you take it till you make it, though, right? <laughs> yeah, I, it was great. It was, it was good experience. It was fun. And then you went out to the West Coast. And where in the West Coast were you at? Uh, mostly in the San Diego area, oh, uh, nice. Ocean Beach, which was an interesting blend of bikers and hipsters and uh, the ocean. And it uh, had a place called Harmony which was one of these restaurants where they took the old wood spools from the wires that the phone company had and laid them on its side <laughs> and put a candle on top of it, and people sat cross-legged on the floor on cushions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but they made pretty good food. Yeah. It was a little, a little too new agey for me then, but I, I learned a lot. Uh, they did a lot of fresh juices. Uh, they, again, they did a lot of natural foods baking. Yeah. which uh, helped me learn how the principles of baking without sugar worked. And, uh, yeah, and then I came back to Chicago, and a mutual friend introduced me to this couple who he said I should meet because they were opening a vegetarian restaurant in Evanston. Yeah. Now, you have to realize this was 1979, and I'd lived in Evanston since 66, only been gone for a year or so. And I thought to myself, who could be opening a vegetarian restaurant in Evanston? And I wouldn't even know them. <laughs> you feel like you know everybody already. Yeah. Well, the story is on, the, on our website. But uh, the couple, actually, one of them was from out of state. He had just come here to go to Northwestern uh, and uh, had driven in and was looking for a place to, to stay and found a room for rent from uh, his future wife, Fran, who had just gotten divorced and was looking for someone to help her pay the mortgage. And so he flew into town and uh, rented a room from her, went to school for about six months, and then he moved from his room to her room, <laughs> dropped out of school, and the two of them decided to open a vegetarian restaurant. 
It's so romantic. Yeah. It is. <laughs> the way I heard the story, Ivan's parents were sitting Shiva for him after they, he dropped out and <laughs> took up with a shiksa. But that's another story. Oh, wow. So... <laughs> Uh, they looked around. There was a place called the Evanston Snack Shop, which mm-hmm. was on the southwest corner of Sherman and Dempster. Okay, and that's where the float center is now, That's right? where the float center is today, yeah. Just west of the tracks there, just west of the metro tracks, across from the Mexican shop. And uh, there was an Indian couple who had been running it. It was pretty disgusting. <laughs> you know, I mean... Dirty. I think they did the dishes once a week. Of course, that's all the business they had, so they probably didn't need to do dishes more often than that. But um, they, you know, carried out the grease in buckets, cleaned it up a little bit, um, and opened in September of 1979, the last week of September 1979. Uh, The first week of November, so they've been open about six weeks. I was introduced to them. And I was, you know, really I was taken with the concept. I mean, it just excited me, you know, a vegetarian restaurant in my hometown. Um, and you had been a vegetarian for a long time by then? Yeah, at that point, I'd been a vegetarian. Well, I was a vegetarian when I was 14, I turned vegetarian. Okay. So I'd been a vegetarian for 14, six years already at that point. Yeah. Um, and back then it was, you know, you made your own bread, you made your own yogurt, you sprouted your own sprouts. <laughs> You know, there, there was no Whole Foods. <laughs> no. There was no Oak Street Market, for those of you who remember Oak Street Market. You know, there was uh, It's Natural on Main Street. There was Sun Grain on, on uh, Greenwood, uh, or, yeah, on, uh, no, Grove, Grove and Sherman. It okay. was called Sun Grain. But um, I introduced myself, Fran and Ivan, and I told them I was excited about what they were doing, and I would love to work with them. And uh, later, I had a conversation with the two of them, years and years later. And their, their experience of me was, quote, yeah, he, he seemed like he, he was a, like a little self-confident, a little too self-confident <laughs> for his age, but we figured, what the heck, we could always fire him if it didn't work out. Oh <laughs> and you ended up just buying them out. <laughs> I did. I worked with them. Well, I worked with them for about a year and a half, almost kind of with them. Fran became pregnant within another month or two. She was pregnant, I think, before the end of the year. So, you know, within months of them opening, she became pregnant and couldn't really work in the restaurant. Many women, especially in the early phases of their pregnancy, food smells are Any overwhelming. Smell. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Ivan, you know, was torn between being with his new wife and trying to keep the business running. Um, Long story short, uh, a year of trying to kind of run the restaurant at arm's length without a whole lot of business experience, they were ready to get out before they lost their shirts, unfortunately. And it was actually a a great opportunity because I had been working there for a little over a year, year and a half, and I had all kinds of ideas, all kinds of changes I wanted to make. Yeah. But it wasn't mine, and they were kind of preoccupied with starting a family and giving birth. <laughs> and so when the opportunity arose to actually buy them out and take the restaurant on, I had the opportunity to realize all the creative inspiration that I was building up over that time. Wow. And are most of the recipes yours? 
Um, the recipes have evolved from all sorts of sources. Um, I have created some of them. Some of them have evolved through chefs and kitchen managers and people I've worked with over the years. Some of them are dishes that we just made for ourselves because we got bored with everything else that's in the <laughs> restaurant and started making something new and it caught on. Yeah. You know, remember, you know that feeling you look in the refrigerator and there's nothing to eat? For well, sure. Believe it or not, you can be in a restaurant and look at the menu and say, there's nothing to eat here. <laughs> so the, the menu has evolved. Uh, there are actually a few dishes that have been on the menu since 1980. Our, you know, our namesake blind face salad has more or less in its current incarnation been on the menu since the 70s. Wow. Uh, a quiche of some kind has been <laughs> on the menu, which is kind of funny because it's gone in and out of vogue. Yeah. Uh, we do a really thick, deep dish quiche. It's like four or five inches thick. Um, yeah. And, you know, some basics. But the menu back then in the 70s and early 80s was, you know, very, very simple. A few stir fries, a few salads, a few sandwiches. Breakfast. Yeah. Eggs, breakfast, pancakes. The routine was real simple. Every morning we'd come in, put on a batch of bread, make a pot of soup, <laughs> prep the vegetables, get the line ready, open the door, cook all day, serve food, close up, mop the floor, go home, do it all over the next day. <laughs> I did that for the first six years the restaurant was open and loved it. <laughs> loved it. You know, young guy in his 20s. and you Running know. your own shop. Yeah. It was fun. It's, and then you moved the shop in 1985? I did. Uh, after, uh, after a few years of uh, cleaning up the old place, I mean, the, the old Blind Faith was great. It was uh, one of those old diners with the short order windows and the stainless steel soda bar mm -hmm. and the stools that spin around and the long counter. Uh, and it was self-service. We had self-service. You'd go up to a register, order your food, pick it up at the window, bust your own table. Okay. So it was unique in that sense. Um, but I realized after a few years, and we were you know, successful in, as I would define success back in those days. Keeping the lights creatively, on. Creatively, <laughs> yeah, and financially, you know. Making any money at all at that age was great. Yeah. Um, I realized it wasn't the kind of place you'd bring your grandmother. Uh, <laughs> maybe not even your parents, depending on who you were. Uh, and I, I saw that we had a lot of potential. Um, and I started thinking about that and wondering, well, if we were going to move, if we were going to grow, you know, what that would look like. And I, you know, I think of myself as an Evanston kid, an Evanston native. I love the city. Yeah. Um, in some ways, I've always lived in South Evanston. It was almost like Dempster Street was the border, you know, <laughs> which is funny because I found out years later that uh, originally Dempster Street was the southern border of the original village of Evanston. Really? And yeah. then Ridgeville is where, uh, which is South Evanston now. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But so I was looking around. I wanted to stay in the neighborhood. I wanted to stay in the Dempster, South Evanston area. Um, and the storefronts in the 500 block of Dempster, where we are now, uh, which at that time housed a Salvation Army thrift store and a computer club, which was a new thing <laughs> back then in the 80s. Um, and B.H. Uh, Sewer, the land surveyor's office, who oh, moved yeah. over to uh, Maine and uh, Custer. Um, I heard a rumor that uh, that Salvation Army was moving out of their storefronts. So I zipped over and saw the sign in the window, called the number on the sign, 
got a hold of the landlord. And I guess a little like my original conversation with Fran and Ivan, I came off like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> my enthusiasm was contagious. He told me right there and then, he says, this sounds like a great idea. I'd love to make this happen if I can. That would be terrific. And so I was really excited. I was going to be able to take eight, 900 square foot restaurant that sat 40 people and turn it into a 35, 3,800 square foot restaurant that would seat 100, 110 people. It's ambitious. It was. And I, you know, I was so excited and I thought, this is going to be so great. And I started plans for building and blueprints. And then I sort of hit a, a, a bump, which I was really shocked at, which uh, I um, had to technically apply for a zoning variance. The city of Evanston kind of controls growth by saying that anything larger than a thousand square feet has to have parking and parking has to be on the property. Well, yeah. of course, on these old properties, there's no parking. There's no parking. So at all. this is their way of getting things through the zoning board of approvals, the ZBA. And I thought, oh, well, okay, you know, that's, I'll, I'll do it right. I'll do it by the book. You know, it's a small town. I knew my alderman, I, I knew the mayor. <laughs> and so I applied for the ZBA, um, you know, exemption. Uh, and of course, back then, they also had this growing issue about fast food restaurants in the city of Evanston. At that time, they didn't, except for on Howard Street, they did not allow fast food restaurants. Really? Uh, you know, there was no Taco Bell in downtown Evanston yet. They were just getting ready to come in. And so they created two uh, tiers, which to this day they have, of restaurants. They call them type one and type two basically a sit-down, full-service restaurant and a carry-out what we call a fast-food yeah. restaurant. And they back then, they were still defining what a fast-food restaurant was, and I was going to have a full dining room plus carry-out. And so I decided, hey, I'd apply for, you know, full-service restaurant with carry-out. And I go to the zoning board hearing, and neighbors from around the corner came to the hearing, and to my shock and dismay said they didn't want the restaurant to open in that space. Because what had happened is it was a buffer between the business community and the residential community that block. Yeah. And it had been dead for decades. They wanted and they liked to stay it that, that way. way. <laughs> Quiet. Yeah. And I was devastated. Cause here I was, this local kid, gonna do good, grow my business. Vegetarian, yeah. like good for the world. And the locals thought they didn't want me. I was heartbroken. I really was. I went through quite a bit of, of um, political maneuvering. And Jay Lytle, who uh, went on to be uh, one of the officers at First Bank and Trust, mm -hmm. was the lame duck at his last city council meeting, cast a tie-breaking vote to actually <laughs> give me the zoning it, to, to move into that space. It was that close. It was that close. And, you know, because... I know it's not what we're here to talk about, but, you know, in a small town like this back then, especially it was who knows who and whose kid went to school with who. And, you know, yeah. it was, uh, it, yeah, it was that close. And uh, several of the aldermen who voted against me said, hey, I'd love you to open a restaurant there, but my constituents, you know, lose their votes. Yeah. And they probably go to your restaurant now. Oh, <laughs> Everyone the ringleaders, the people who were most vocal about me not opening were some of my most loyal regulars in the decades that followed. Yeah. <laughs> Apologetically. <laughs> but so we, yeah, so in the fall of 85, we built out 
the space where it is now at 525 Dempster Street uh, and opened, I believe it was November 15th, I want to say, we moved. And I initially had the concept to have half the restaurant self-service like the old restaurant. Right, which you had for a long time. I did. And then a main dining room. And I thought when I opened that my self-service area would fill up like it did every weekend, and I'd get a few stragglers in the dining room. So I hired waitresses, but no busmen, no hosts, opened on a Friday night, had a line out the door. <laughs> had to call my parents to come help me host and bust dishes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which they, they, they willingly did. Uh, and we've been going gangbusters ever since. It's... It's a great story. I mean, you also had, uh, when you opened up, uh, when you started serving uh, wine, you had to go through a similar process too, right? Well, I went back about six months after we opened. Yeah. I went back to apply for, I mean, back then they were handing out liquor licenses in Evanston with an eyedropper. Remember, <laughs> it had only been six years that they'd actually had liquor licenses. Evanston was dry yeah. up until the late 70s, until the Holiday Inn said they wouldn't build without a bar, and they magically changed the law. <laughs> but yeah, so I went back and I said to my alderman, I want to apply for a beer and wine license. And she said, look, don't even think about it. You just went through a bloody war to get your get the zoning. Just give it a couple of years. Yeah. And I did. I waited three, almost four, maybe four and a half, five years before I went back and, and got a license. And even then, yeah. they had to create a completely new uh, type of license for just for me. What do you mean? Well, up until then, back then they had um, different standards of licenses. They had different types. They had a, a full bar license, which you could only get technically in in what they called the core district, downtown Evanston. Okay. And it's sort of that way still. But <laughs> um, you could get a beer and wine incidental to food as a restaurant outside um, and they were just starting to do that, and that's what I applied for. And to my dismay, again, some of the neighbors came back. I don't know, I guess they were worried about drunk vegetarians <laughs> chewing on their bushes late at night or something. <laughs> and I said, look, I'm, I close at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock on Friday and Saturday. They were convinced somehow I'd get a liquor license and be open until 2 in the morning with dancing girls or something. <laughs> You're the opposite of that. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> so I said, look, I'd be happy to commit to only serving liquor till 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And that was the compromise the city made. They created a, a standard of license, a different license, that was specifically only good until, I think it was 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night, just for the Blind Faith Cafe. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. That bastion of, you know, Roundiness. drunken vegetarian debauchery or whatever it was. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so crazy. Uh, well, that's small town. You know, it it's like we're we're part of a big town, but we're small town. Yeah, and in some ways, it's still like that. And it's one of the appeals, quite frankly, of Evanston. It, you know, yeah. it's not suburbia, and it's not Chicago. It, it's got that nice balance between the two. Absolutely. I mean, and I and I think that blind faith is really part of that. It you know because it you are local. You've been here forever. And it's like the quirkiness of the, the residents don't want to allow something like like this restaurant, but it is Evanston. It, it is. I mean, and it's, it's almost, it's become part of the backdrop of Evanston. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
with the exception of Dave's Italian Kitchen, which has kind of gone through another incarnation, right. I can't think of another restaurant that's been open as many years continuously, owner-operated, uh, other than the Blind Faith. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, it is. It's a. It's almost an institution, and as I like to say, some people function well in an institution. I guess I'm one of them. <laughs> You're one of them. <laughs> but uh, it's a backdrop. You know, it's, I've had kids come into the restaurant uh, with their parents, and they grew up, and they came back and worked for me. Yeah. And then they came back as adults and ate in the restaurant, and they had kids, and brought their kids in to eat, and their kids grew up, and their kids worked for me. <laughs> yeah, I've seen three generations uh, come through the restaurant uh, as guests, as staff, you know, as neighbors. Yeah. We're part of the backdrop, and I'm proud of that, that we're part of the backdrop of Evanston. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, I started coming there as probably a baby. I would go there with my grandparents, you know, quite a bit, you know. Um, now I have my kids come in there, so it's a similar exactly. type of thing. Yeah. Haven't worked there yet. <laughs> <laughs> but your, your grandparents <laughs> yeah. still come in. Yes, they do. It, you know, it's, uh, um, so it's great. I mean, they, they love going there. We all do. Um, you, had some other loca- you had another location for a while, too. Now, do you, do you like just having the one spot now? Or? I do. I'm a one restaurant man. I, I really yeah. am. Uh, I did open a Blind Faith Cafe in the city on the corner of Lincoln and School, mm-hmm. uh, right behind the Whole Foods there that's on Ashland, which uh, is now Wishbone. Right. Uh, I sold, actually sold the restaurant to Wishbone. Um, I was approached by some people who wanted to invest and grow the concept, and I was excited to try to do it. Um, built out probably a little too ambitiously, a little too soon in a neighborhood that was still not quite ready uh, for what we were doing. Uh, We definitely had some success, but I didn't like the lifestyle. I really didn't. Um, I thought to myself when I went into it, what could you have more than a headache seven days a week, 24 (laughs) hours a day? And I discovered you could have a bigger headache seven (laughs) days a week, 24 hours a day. And it just wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. Well, you have to enjoy what you're doing. I mean, you did uh, also, you had Jackie's on Prairie too, right? I did. I opened uh, Jackie's in uh, 2009 uh, with the chef who was working for me at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, It was not a vegetarian concept, and in that sense, not particularly resonant with me creatively or in terms of my values or my culinary approach. Yeah. Uh, But the chef was excited about the idea. Um, I quickly uh, decided it really wasn't for me and wasn't something that was going to be financially advantageous long term. So I sold it to the chef who wasted no time in driving it into the ground, (laughs) uh, as many chefs do when they're left to their own devices. And uh, it it operated, I think, a year after I sold it and then turned into uh, a sushi restaurant. Okay. Well, I definitely see, I mean, when you're there, you're, you, you look happy, yeah. you know, and I think that's, if you could focus like what you're doing, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, the, and it shows in the quality. Well, I think that's just it. I mean, I, I don't doubt for a second that one of the reasons that the restaurant is flourishing, not just surviving, but flourishing after four, 40 years, four decades uh, is that I am a hands-on operator. I'm there most days of the week. Uh, I'm greeting people at the door. I'm picking up the dirty napkin off the floor. 
you know, I'm checking the quality of the food. I'm looking at things coming in the back door. I'm making sure the facility is operating smoothly. That's the, in this industry, in the restaurant industry, that's kind of what it takes. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a fine line. You can have lines out the door and not be making money in the restaurant industry. So <laughs> you have to be smart. And you have to have good employees. I mean, you've had some people there for, uh, I don't know, what's, how, what's the longest serving employee you've had? I've got someone who's been with me almost 20 years. Yeah, I've got, I've got a group of people who've been with me over 10 years. Yeah. Um, I've got uh, someone who's been with me for, for 20. And a lot of people have been with me six, seven, eight years. I have relatively little or no turnover compared to the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of that's in the front of the house, not, not in the back of the house. Uh, I am selective about the people I hire. Uh, I work with them. I respect them. I give them a good environment, a safe environment, a profitable environment to work in and sit back and let them do their job. And they're incredibly friendly. I mean, that's the key. Sometimes you go into a restaurant and you're like, why am I here? Or they forget about you. But, oh, my God, they are the friendliest uh, staff. And and the food is consistent as well. So you see that in the back of the house, too. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's called the hospitality industry. (laughs) Right. And in this country in general, and I think even in the restaurant industry, that idea of hospitality is... Still hard to come by. I mean, you find it here and there, and I thank you for noticing. You're Blind welcome. Faith is definitely a place where people are welcome. We want people to feel like they're in our dining room, in our living room. They're our guests, and we sincerely want them to have a good experience. And we want to, you know, know that if they're not happy with something, that we can make them happy. Yeah. And you've had some uh, famous staff, didn't uh, Stephen Colbert work for you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, in the. I guess it was in the early 90s uh, Stephen Colbert worked for me. It's funny, you know, I had completely forgotten about that until somebody reminded me of it just a couple, few years ago. They were doing, a, uh, when he took over Dave Letterman's uh, show, they were doing promotional pieces here in Chicago. Yeah, yeah he worked in uh, what we call the cafe, which was back then was still self-service. And I remember thinking to myself at the time, this guy is definitely not cut out for the food service business. <laughs> but he did work for us for a while. And uh, we've had uh, Greg Allen work for us, who went on to create uh, Not Too Much Light Makes a Baby Go Blind. Oh, okay. Uh, and, um, yeah, we've had our share of people go to all kinds of places. Yeah. Everybody it's waits fun. tables at one time or another in their yeah, life. Yeah, and that's not a bad place to wait tables. <laughs> it's not. No. And you've had some colorful art on the walls as well, um, and a lot of it's from your mother, right? I've had, yeah, I've had all kinds of art. My, my mother, Peggy Lipschutz, uh, is a, an oil painter, uh, an artist, graphic artist, uh, still living. She's 100 years old <laughs> and still uh, being creative. Uh, her, I've had her oils on the wall. I've had local quilters work on the wall. I've had local photographers work on the wall. Um, like anything, it's you know there always has to be sort of a fresh, evolving feel. Yeah. Um, the restaurant has had at least two makeovers uh, since we've moved in '85, and it's probably about due for a, a third one pretty <laughs> soon. 
you gotta, you know, you gotta stay contemporary. You gotta stay inviting. And sure. what that was in '85 is not what it was in 2000, and not what it'll be in 2020. Right. And so you're planning on doing that? You think next year? Yeah, I think uh, we'll be between now and yeah by 2020. I think we'll give it a, a fairly good going over again in the front of the house cosmetically. Do you also do the back of the house at that time? Yeah. Well, my philosophy in the restaurant industry is people and equipment, no matter how well you maintain them, they will break down eventually. (laughs) Uh, And the people are usually more difficult to (laughs) repair than the equipment. But the the physical plant is is always an ongoing, evolving work, you know. as soon as you finish the last thing that needed to be repaired or replaced, the first thing that you replaced 10 years ago now has to be repaired or replaced. So there's really no end to it. The footprint and the design of the kitchen is essentially the way it was in 85 when I built it. And one of these days, I keep telling myself that I'm going to close for a month, ha, 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 because that's what it would take, um, and really completely remodel the, yeah, the floor plan that. <laughs> of the back of the house. Because, you know, my knowledge of what it took to operate a restaurant and how a restaurant operated in 1985 was, you know, so immature compared to what it is today. I, I could make the kitchen more efficient, more functional, probably expand our menu and make everyone's life and job easier if I, you know, just invested a lot of money and time. Yeah, but then everyone's going to be upset. They can't go to my faith. It's a trade-off, I guess, right? It is. It is. And, you know, one day, who knows, we'll send everybody on vacation for a couple of weeks, plan ahead, and do it. Because, you know, at some point, you almost have to. Because to to grow and to evolve, there's always this creative tension between tradition and innovation. And you're always sort of walking that fine line. Right. And I think it's similar to things on the menu. I mean, um, you know, like the grinder wasn't on the menu or it was on the menu at first for many, many years, it was. a favorite. And then it was gone. <laughs> and we, you brought it back, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, some people don't know the term grinder. It's basically a hot sub sandwich. <laughs> right. uh, and Ivan, one of the original uh, owners of the restaurant, being from the East Coast, brought this concept of the grinder with him. And so they had this hot grinder sandwich on the original menu, which we loved, but that was 79, 80. By the time we were still doing it in 92, it was becoming a little passe. You know, we wanted to do, you know, a goat cheese brie sandwich or something, you know. And so we took it off the menu, um, and it was off the menu for a good 10, 12 years. Oh, yeah. And for that entire time, people were asking about it. So, you know, but then after 12, 14 years, you can bring it back. It's retro. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we made it a little sexier, smoked Gouda and a little of this, a little of that. Yeah. Um, you know, caramelized onion, like that. But it's essentially it's hot sub sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> What's your favorite uh, thing on the menu? Oh, God. Well, I could answer that one of two ways. A good bowl of brown rice with a little peanut sauce. <laughs> you know, so boring. <laughs> but um, I I like our bibimbap. Oh yeah, the bibimbap is a, a, a our vegetarian sort of uh, incarnation of a Korean classic. Uh, it's a bowl of rice with marinated vegetables, uh, and uh, we use a spicy grilled seitan, mm-hmm. uh, which is a wheat meat, a wheat gluten, and uh, an egg on top. 
and a chili sauce, and you mix the whole thing together, it's really good. That is delicious. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I also love the Thai peanut noodles. The Thai peanut noodles? Oh, noodle? my God. Yeah. The Thai peanut noodles and our Mongolian stir-fry yes. uh, are our two biggest sellers. Uh, and I tried once to take the Mongolian off the menu and almost had a riot on my hand. So I, you know... <laughs> I, I did never dared try that again. No. But yeah, we do a, a Mongolian stir fry. We, the Thai peanut noodles, the bip and bop, uh, are probably our three biggest uh, entrees. Three what biggest about seitan fajitas? Those are pretty. And the fajitas as well. Yeah, <laughs> which we used to do a, a blind faith variation on a theme, and now we've gone back to the sizzling platter concept. It's original concept. I like that uh, of the fajita with you know the smoke billowing through the room as it travels from the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's exciting when it comes. And because my first passion and love uh, was baking, yeah. unlike most restaurants, all of our desserts, everything that we serve is created fresh in-house in our in-house bakery. Yeah. Uh, and we have a, a complete line of vegan layer cakes and bars and desserts and pastry um, which wasn't necessarily my intention when I started the bakery. Um, I was doing all kinds of things, but because there was such a demand for vegan, um, again, you know, before Whole Foods came along, before a lot of other places, uh, we sort of evolved to fill that demand. Uh, and I'd say about 70, 75% of my desserts our vegan, a whole series of layer cakes, a peanut butter chocolate cake, a double chocolate cake, an apricot tort. We do a flourless black forest cake. I'm so hungry. <laughs> um, and then we do traditional desserts. I mean, we have, a, I think, some of the best tiramisu I've had anywhere in the world. Yeah. Not vegan, <laughs> but delicious. <laughs> no. uh, and we do cheesecake and eclairs and sweet rolls and, and other things that are, are more traditional. But we do have a, a nice variety of gluten-free uh, and a large selection of vegan pastry and desserts. Do a lot of people just come in to buy a cake? Oh, yeah. I, about 20%, I'd say 15 20% of my trade is uh, retail, bakery, and desserts. Wow. That's... We do special orders. We do wedding cakes. Okay. And you do catering as well for parties or weddings or anything we that do. people want? We do. Uh, we do quite a bit of pickup and carry-out catering, mm-hmm. uh, large pans of food. Uh, and uh, uh, we also do on-site catering for weddings and, and large parties. I would love to go to one of those. <laughs> um, and you're open uh, six days a week. You're not open on Monday, right? That is true. Believe it or not, for 30 years, I was open seven days a week. It's crazy. Yeah. And uh, one morning I woke up and I realized just that, that the restaurant won't survive if I don't survive. <laughs> And I, I need a day, a down day. And traditionally, Monday is the day the restaurant's closed. Um, and I think part of that's because in the old, old days, a lot of restaurants were closed on Sunday and Monday. People would go really? to church oh, or, yeah. you know, their family. Um, and Monday is kind of traditionally the quietest day of the week. And I decided that we would take a day mm-hmm. and just give the staff a rest, give the, the facilities a rest, and give myself a rest. And I think since we stopped being open on Mondays, which I want to say was about seven years ago, eight years or nine years ago, uh, I think I've almost taken two or three or four Mondays off. 
But I usually go in. I'll just go in for an hour or two. That's, that's sad. <laughs> well, you know, but see, the things I used to have to do in the middle of the night, Yes. now I can do on a Monday. Yeah, all the, the business end, the paperwork and all that, yeah, ordering. repairs and things that you can't do when you're open or that you'd have to close to do yeah. or we used to have to close to do. And do you see, um, so I guess the future for Blind Faith is renovation, staying in that same you know, spot, not opening more places, and just keep refining and getting better, right? Yeah. Uh, we are going to be constantly evolving our commitment and our concept of what it is to provide vegetarian foods to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to try to always respond to the, the needs and the growing, changing needs of our clientele uh, and the community, and we're going to be true to ourselves in terms of our values um, and philosophy in terms of how we employ people, how we compensate people, what we serve, what we don't serve. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we're going to grow. We're not going anywhere. We have a great relationship with Evanston, a great relationship with the building. Um, and you fought uh, hard enough to get in there. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. <laughs> not moving. And uh, you probably find me there. Ten years from now, picking up the dirty napkins and greeting people at the door. <laughs> That's fantastic. So uh, if people want to find you, um, you know, you're located at 525 Dempster Street in Evanston, but what is your website and where can people find you on social media? Uh, we're at blindfaithcafe.com. Uh, our, and at Facebook, it's fa- Blind Faith Cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a link to our Facebook and uh, Twitter accounts right from our website. We also offer delivery through DoorDash, which you can access through our website. Uh, and uh, we have a pretty active email list, which does uh, offer specials and sometimes discounts. And you can get on our email list right through our website as well. That's great. Um, well, I'm hungry. I think I know where I'm going for dinner. <laughs> I'm sure the rest of you will as well. Um, but David, thank you so much for coming on Inside the Skep. I really appreciate the time. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Me too.